0: Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to spend just a few minutes providing a couple updates. The first update being Dexter Wise, podcast host, investment analyst here at Full Sail Capital, was offered and accepted a position to become a chief investment officer for another investment firm here in Oklahoma City. We wish him all the best. Dexter, thank you for everything you did for us. Thank you for all the help you did here on the podcast we really, really appreciate the time that you gave us here at Full Cell. We know that everything you learned here is going to serve you well as you make this next step in your career. We'll miss you, but we wish you all the best. Good luck and do well, my friend. So with that being said, yours truly will begin serving as primary podcast host, but my goal is always going to be that we bring in good quality guests and I ask questions and then sit back and let them talk. So Again, if you have any comments, any suggestions, any critiques, please let me know. I, I'd love to continue to refine this podcast. I'd love to continue to push out content that is meaningful and high quality. So let me know. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate everybody that's that's been following along the journey so far. Let's look ahead. Today, we're going to kind of put a bow on what I'll call season one of charting the course. We've got, you know, a good batch of episodes under our belt We learned a lot. We had some incredible guests on. I want to thank every single person again that has come on this podcast, has taken time out of their day to spend with us. We really, really appreciate it. We've received some really good feedback. We've had people across the country uh, that are listening to this thing. And our goal is to continue to grow it, continue to grow the audience, continue to bring on entertaining, informative guests, and push out high-quality content. So looking ahead, you can continue to expect to see our Squared Away episodes. That's where we're going to bring in Zach, our chief investment officer. We're going to take a step back from all the market news. We're going to hit pause and we're going to sit down and really discuss what is going on. Let's make some sense of it. Is this something we should be worried about? Is this something we should be cautious about? Is this something that really doesn't impact us at all? So those squared away episodes are going to continue to be important. They're going to continue to be that relevant top of mind content. We're going to continue to bring in... Guests that we feel like are entertaining, guests that we feel like are informative, that have an incredible story to tell. We've got a couple coming up. One is going to be an interview with a gentleman at PIMCO. We're going to dive into kind of this short-term cash issue with rates and inflation. Another one coming up, we're going to sit down with a firm that has a philanthropic focus, and they work with personal and family foundations. They work with donor-advised funds and families that are looking to give away money during their lifetime and after. Those are just a couple of things we have lined up. Two other series we're going to begin rolling out. One's going to be an entrepreneur series, which is exactly what it sounds like. We're going to sit down and have these entrepreneurs tell their stories, which are just going to be incredible. Some of the names we've started to think about and reach out to. So an entrepreneur series and then a real estate series that we're going to begin to focus on where we can bring in various real estate industry experts from a manager to a broker to an investor. We're going to sit down with them and listen to kind of all sides of that, what it looks like. We get so many questions around real estate, buying a rent house, investing in a commercial project, investing in private real estate through a private equity. So we're going to dive into all that and have conversations around that. So those are just a couple of things coming up. I'm really excited about them. I hope you are too. Again, please let me know if you have any ideas or feedback for me. I'd love to hear it. Well, today we've got an interesting topic. We're going to hit on estate planning. And before you turn me off or mute me or skip to the next one, just bear with me. This is definitely a topic that people like to avoid. This is something that is not on the top of anybody's to-do list, but it's something that we feel very passionate about and we feel is important to to talk about. I've asked David Stanley and, and Scott Cravens, two of our advisors and, and two of the partners here at Full Sail Capital to join me. They both have experience and expertise in this field. So they're going to really be able to, what I hope is is convey the importance of estate planning, the importance of having a team and and why it's you really shouldn't avoid it and how costly it can be. So bear with us. It's a fun conversation. I really appreciate these guys joining me. Without further ado, we'll, we'll get to our conversation. David and Scott, thank you both for joining me today i said it in the intro but i asked you to specifically to sit down with me and discuss this estate planning topic because you both have individual and unique experiences in this field and i think can really lend some advice and insight into uh, this area so again thanks for joining me let's spend a little bit of time here talking about your background the knowledge you have how you gained it so david we'll start with you and then scott i'll have you chime in as well
1: i've been in this business for a little over 32 years it all started for me my father when I was in high school started running a trust department and I worked for him in the summertime and I just I watched him helping people and I, I saw his passion for it I knew he loved it and I I got the same bitten with the same bug so I actually started my career right out of college in a trust department in Amarillo Texas for a fantastic bank Amarillo National Bank I don't know if we want to say that here but they're a fantastic bank and I, I loved working there for the 16 years I did and I learned everything I knew but I know that I built off of now in in the way of estate planning working with clients helping them create and then ultimately at their death manage for them those very estate plans and watched very good ones be built and sure. and take and administered and I saw some that weren't so good sure Sure. Scott, what about you?
2: Well, David certainly got a lot more practical experience than I did. My, my experience started out practical. I mean, my first experience with a trust was realizing that I was the beneficiary of one and figuring out how to navigate that and what it meant and what I was supposed to do and what I wasn't supposed to do. But then, of course, you know, I studied it more technically, right? When I was in law school. I mean, you that's one of the things that you learn about and right. study and you understand. So I developed an understanding there for how estate plans work and are constructed and, you know, all the legalese behind all that. And then through my career, it started out with, you know, a little over 10 years of service in the trust business and the business where, you know, David really learned it and has spent a couple more decades than me there. But I saw for 10 years, I watched clients handle it, prepare it. We advised on them, served as corporate trustee and saw countless lawyers prepare them correctly, incorrectly, uh, well and poorly. So I've Feel like I've got a pretty well-rounded experience there over the last fifteen years.
0: Awesome, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you both again for the time. Let's first of all let's define estate planning, if you will. What what is it? What does it entail? What goes into it?
2: I think people make it more complicated than what it is. There's a lot of crazy terms like idiot and crummy and
1: revocable and defective. Yeah,
2: yeah, intentionally defect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but the the truth is at its core, what it is is establishing a plan for execution on someone's assets after their death. That's what it is. And who's going to be responsible for what, who gets to benefit from it, and what are the conditions of it? I mean, I think it's really about getting people to be thoughtful about what happens to their stuff and their families in their absence.
1: And I think really what you see is the reason why so many people either don't do an estate plan or they're continually putting it off into the future. Who really wants to talk about death? Not a lot of people, but I will tell you, if you want your assets to pass, which you worked really hard to, to make that money, to generate that wealth, you want your assets to pass the way you want it to pass, not the way the government wants it to pass. And I've seen that happen several times when people die intestate, millions of dollars in their state. And they let the government decide how it's distributed out. And one of the things that's so hard about
2: that is there's so many factors when you are in a probate situation um, or worse, an intestacy situation, where, you know, y- your assets really don't have a decision maker, someone who truly feels empowered and is educated in advance about those assets. I mean, that's really a well-constructed estate plan is not only legally well-constructed. It's also practically well-constructed in that the people who are going to make decisions are knowledgeable and prepared to make them and execute on them
1: in the event that they're called to do so. And that is why I think it's so important to have, after you've had an estate plan drafted, let's say you've hired a a corporate trustee to manage your death. Let them review it before you execute it because you can have a legal document and something that's completely impractical to manage mm-hmm. or to administer yep. after your death because there are people that are really good at creating them and there are people really good at running them. You need to have that team around you while you do. Well, it.
2: and I think one of the questions that we get asked a lot by prospective clients is help me understand what your role is in the estate planning process. Like, I mean, got, right. I cause, cause we tell them we're, we're not going to draft your estate plan. That's not why mm-hmm. we're here. Even though I'm an attorney, we have other attorneys in the office. That's not what we do all day, but our job is to give them one of the greatest advantages we bring to clients is the spectrum of experience we've seen not only in our own careers, but things we've seen across all of our clients and how they've done things. And we can bring to bear that knowledge for them on a practical basis for how their estate plan could better be constructed, practically speaking.
0: Okay, so I wanna come back to a couple different things you both brought up, but let's back up. I want you to do two things. Define intestate real quick. It's just dying
2: without a will. Dying without a will, mm-hmm. and each state has a set of intestacy laws that dictate how assets are administered and distributed in the event that you die without a will or an estate plan. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. And so state by state, it matters on who's preparing these. They need to have an understanding of the laws in that state. So Correct. okay, thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah, every state has a different trust and probate code. Mm-hmm. And, and so, David, some, you've, some are
0: similar, but, but you've more. talked about Texas in the past, and oh, we, yeah. we we will touch on that in a little bit. But I think that. That difference is unique, so don't forget that. Why is this a topic, and David, I think you kind of hit on it, but why is this a topic that automatically people want to avoid, create size, they get bored, or they just avoid it altogether? What?
1: What is it about estate planning that causes I think, that? I think it goes back to you, you have to face your own mortality when you start an estate plan. You have to face it. And I, I will tell you, I don't know where it ranks on people's list, but I, I think fear of death is pretty high. On most people's list, and but I will tell you what if they if they can get in there and face it, wealth being created. I think there are so many people when they see somebody who's really wealthy, especially sometimes the kids, they have no respect for what it took to create that wealth. And the people that are creating the wealth need to have the respect for themselves of what what's been done and or what's been given to them because it may just be them creating an an estate plan for for their next generation from what was given to them. And they need to respect that by making sure it passes exactly the way they want it to happen and the most tax-efficient manner that it can pass.
2: And and aside from the not wanting to confront your own death or have a conversation about it, the other thing that I see, particularly from younger clients, is it's kind of daunting to... Take a break from your running your business or your day-to-day business activities and go spend three hours with an attorney and answer all the questions and, you know, then come back and meet again and then review copies of it. Mm-hmm. and It just, it's a lot of work and people don't want to stop and do that. So they,
1: they just kind of pun it. It's not inexpensive if it's done correctly either.
2: Yeah, there's a cost associated cost. with it, a cost that is well worth. Uh, totally well yeah. worth. Yeah, that's a well, cost versus value discussion. Let's talk
0: about that real quick, about the cost. Everybody's is going to vary based on the complexity of it, and we're going to get into when it gets complex, when you need to step that up. In your opinion, there's really no reason for somebody to avoid setting up an estate plan because of the cost. It's probably going to be appropriate based on their assets or age for whatever they're going to pay. And... and Again, a team like ours is going to make sure they're not overpaying.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the best way to look at that is cost versus value. In my mind, you are investing in a great estate mm-hmm. plan, and it will ultimately cost you a whole lot more to die without one than the cost to put one together. And in some cases, dramatically more, depending on how complex your estate is. So it's a small price to pay or a small investment to make to ensure certainty.
1: Yeah, I had a client telling me that he didn't want to pay his, his attorney to do this. And I said... He, I, I go, trust me, he would probably rather you don't because he's going to make 10 times what you'd pay him now to help <laughs> clean this up <laughs> yeah. after your death. And yeah. he, he kind of looked at me and made an appointment. I think a lot of people, and David, this is where I want to have you kind
0: of chime in on your example of the, the Texas laws and Oklahoma laws, specifically comparing those and or with other states. When does it get more complex than just setting up a will? Because I think a lot of people think, I just need to have a will. I can get on LegalZoom. I can create a, a will or a power of attorney, and, and I'm and I'm good. So when does it get more complex? Or for specifically our state, does it matter to even have a will? Is it more important to have that trust document?
1: Let's break those two down. Well, a comprehensive estate plan is always going to have a will. You're always going to have a will in it um, no matter what. The will's gonna uh, address things in it, and certainly I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not being comprehensive here. I'm telling you what I've seen it uh, express. It's gonna, if you have minor children in the will, it's gonna be talking about who the guardians of those children will be at your death. Um, and it's also gonna take care of any assets that were not, if you had a trust, that weren't funded into the trust so that you can probate those assets to get them into the trust, it's called a pour over. But in the state of Oklahoma, where you, you're going back to Oklahoma versus Texas, my experience in Texas when I was there 16 years is that if people were going to create a trust after their death in Texas, they would do it under their will. Vast majority of them did, called a trust under a will.
2: Yeah, test or testamentary trust.
1: Testamentary trust, mm-hmm. uh, because it, the probate process is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward, very quick, and not very expensive. That was my experience there, and a lot of people did that in that state, Oklahoma. It, it's pretty hard pressed if you have even just um, an average amount of assets in this state, uh, it's, it's probably a good thing to have a, a, a trust. Sure. You're gonna probably pay just about as much money to have a, a good trust created as you would have a good will created. Okay. And you're not gonna have to deal with the probate process here, which can be more arduous and a little more expensive. Another reason to have a trust is if you have assets outside of our state real property outside of our state. Yep. You want to avoid having to do a probate in that state which is called an ancillary probate. You want to avoid that at all costs. And you can't and the only way you can really do that is to have that property inside your trust. And we've got clients across 21, 22
0: states now, so I know we're having conversations about this. I just think the example between Oklahoma and Texas is important to realize it could be Florida and Georgia. It's just right. the differences in those laws and having an well, understanding. And you there. just
1: really want to worry about the state you're going to create the document in, right? Mm-hmm. those that, that, that that's the state you want to zoom in on. Sure. Instead of talking to your cousin who lives in a state... That right. may have something completely different than ours.
2: Well, one other reason that David alluded to that I just want to supplement with one fact, a lot of people don't know this, is that in Oklahoma, for example, the law that I know is when you make a will, when you draft a will, prepare a will, as David alluded to, you are making a recommendation in that will, emphasis on the word recommendation, as to who the guardian of, say, your minor children will be. Because ultimately, there is a hearing where the court decides guardianship. If a parent fails to make a recommendation in their will, then it can get really nasty between family members who are not selected to be that guardian. If the parent makes a recommendation, courts by and large have gone along with that parental recommendation, unless there is a lot of evidence to the contrary that it would create an unsafe situation for the child or there's drug abuse or something like that but that recommendation is made in the will and it is not necessarily an absolute. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine if you don't have a recommendation and just to make it easy, you got two sets of grandparents that, you know, are fighting over who's going to get, I mean, that, that's not a good situation. And if you say that that's not worth, you know, a couple thousand dollars to have an estate plan prepared, I don't think you're thinking about that clearly. Good point. Let's define a couple of the players that's
0: within an estate plan. People that I've, You've thrown out some of of already, Scott, but a guardian, a trustee, a trust protector, kind of define some of those roles here so people understand corporate trustee is another one. Let's define a couple of those and the players and which one's important. I think the corporate trustee and trustee part, David, you have spoken to that in the past. Scott, you were just talking about the guardians and how a guardian is not a trustee and and so on and so forth. So any advice or
1: insight on on the
0: players within a state so, plan?
1: So a corporate trustee is just going to be a professional fiduciary, professional trustee. Uh, a lot of them are housed in banks, but there are independent trustees as well, trust companies. They're in the business of managing all forms of trust. And when you're creating your estate plan, you have a, you have a choice. Do I want to name my children? Do I want to name a close friend as my successor trustee? Or do I want to name a corporate trustee? And I will tell you, I ask the same thing to everybody who's creating an estate plan when they start talking about wanting to name their children. I say, well, do your children have the skill set of somebody that you will need to handle your estate plan and to handle and manage your estate at the time of your death? And would you pick them if they weren't your children? It's shocking some of the answers That's you get. It's a great question. But even if they do, I, I got to tell you, my, I have one of my children that could do that too. Phenomenally equipped to do it. I would never put him in charge of his other siblings because all that does is create animosity. It creates distrust, all kinds of things. I I think we've talked about in the past, I've seen families that just look like the the most incredible nuclear family you'd ever see in your life. The second, the last to die, mom and dad, Mm -hmm. all hell breaks loose if there's money involved because it's usually not your children. It's usually who they're married to. They got that person on the laying on the pillow next to him, going, "You know, your your sister's screwing you. She's a trustee. Better to name a corporate trustee, someone to come in, be that middle person, mm-hmm. be that professional at managing those assets too, and someone you can be assured of that's going to follow through with the wishes that you laid out in your estate plan."
2: In addition to that, I just add that. You know, there's little things too that the average individual trustee is never going to be prepared to administer. Trust accounting is very complicated. Deciding on investments for people that are income beneficiaries and people that are remaindermen gets incredibly complicated. Yep, You can step in it a lot of different ways there and create liability for yourself. It's important to remember that Full sale does not have the capacity to serve as a corporate trustee. David and I have both worked at firms where we did have that authority. And I can tell you, I continue to recommend to anyone that I talk to to utilize, find, and secure the services of a corporate trustee yes, and not rely on Uncle Ned or anybody else to serve in that role for your family.
0: And again, their job, they're not technically drafting the document. They're just reading the document and applying yeah. what's inside of
2: it. If I'm going to give you a technical answer, the trustee is the legal owner. They are the person who has authority to act as, they, as the grantor did after their death. So they have the, the right to control and decide on assets in the administration of the trust. That's the trustee's job.
1: And you'll hear people say, well, you know, I'm going to pay a corporate trustee all this money, but I can tell you, if you name one of your children trustee, they're going to have to call a lawyer, an accountant oh, yeah. every day versus a corporate trustee. That is that is their job. That is their profession. What they do every day in the normal course of just doing business, an individual is going to have to call somebody for help. A lot more expensive.
2: Yep.
0: Well, and I think one of the big, misconceptions is the corporate trustee all of a sudden takes on this ownership role and controls everything where that's really not the case you you can put in wording within the document that says you know maybe my son can hire or fire that corporate trustee
2: if they begin deviating from the plan correct yeah look the master of the of the offer in a contract situation is the offeror The master of the trust agreement is the grantor or the trustor, the person who creates it. And you can outline all kinds of provisions that act as checks and balances on the trustee. You mentioned trust protector. That's one way to do it. You can create it where a majority or a supermajority of the income beneficiaries can remove and replace a trustee. There's a lot of ways to provide a check and balance on a corporate trustee, which again, I would... Tell people that they should do that. Everybody should have a check and balance. It's a healthy thing to have that. Yes. Agreed. We've talked about
0: it getting more complex. We've kind of defined that. When do I move from, let's just use the example we've already kind of talked about, just having a will to, is there an asset size? Is there an age? Is there a career stage where we highly, highly recommend you have a trust plan in place?
2: Yeah. If you own a home and you have children, you should have a trust. If I counted the number of times somebody has said to me, I don't have enough assets to have a trust, it'd be a big number. I would say I hear that more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And immediately, I just can't help myself, immediately, client or not, I say, you're thinking about that the wrong way. It's not about an asset size. It's about ensuring a seamless distribution and conclusion of your estate that is for your family's benefit. And if you have kids, you need to be thinking about that. And if you own a home, you know you've got an asset that's going to have to be administered by somebody, probably to sell, to, cre- you know, to create liquidity, to distribute out in accordance with the trust. But those would be the two triggering conditions where I'm, I'm like, the minute those two things are true, you need an estate plan.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about
2: the people that should be involved. We've kind of defined our role, but let's
0: elaborate a little bit. Let's talk about specifically the role we play as Wealth Management Advisors, specifically the team approach we take and how we think they should have a team around them. But who else should be involved? What's our role? What's the lawyer's role? What's the accountant's
1: role? So everyone should have, um, once you start getting significant or, or or on the road to significant assets, everyone should have a good CPA and relationship with an attorney and have a wealth management professional helping them. That's your team. And that's the team that once every year for or once. Every three years, depending on the complexity of your your assets, that's the team that should be getting together with you and around you to make sure that all the components—tax, legal, um, investment advice—it's all working in concert to help you get to where you want to go while you're alive, to get to where you want your children to go as they come up and become productive adults, and ultimately, what your legacy—what you want your legacy to be—with your assets.
2: Yes, and so you've got the attorney whose role it is to prepare the estate plan you have the cpa who's there to advise the client on best practices in terms of discussing whether you have estate taxes steps you should you might be able to take to avoid some of those estate taxes good tax planning for the creation of these i mean there's a lot of roles they play the investment advisor's role if done correctly is to provide practical knowledge. I alluded to that earlier about the spectrum, right? We see all these clients at all these different levels of wealth and how they handle their estate. We can provide perspective on what other people have done that are similarly situated. We can provide perspective of things we've seen other attorneys do uh, that may help the attorney that's providing services to the client at hand, uh, refine the estate plan a little bit differently or better. So that's the role that we really play. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but those are three separate and distinct roles, and there's reasons that they should be separate and distinct, but those are the people that are that are there.
1: And I would tell you, if anyone tells you you need to get rid of one of those components so that they can do that for you as well, that's the person you need to get rid of.
0: So let's dive into that then, because there are, from what we see, there are firms that will do all of what you guys just talked about, yep. and there are firms that maintain that separation of duties we're one of those firms that we believe our role is specifically to you guys have already alluded to it but we play one role in that group so what are the advantages what are the drawbacks of having your whole team under one roof what are the advantages of having your team separate
2: well i think it's a perceived advantage I don't think it's a real advantage, okay. and I'll explain why. So if you have an investment advisor who keeps an attorney on staff, the allure of that that I've seen for clients or prospective clients is that it's easy on them. They have one phone call to make. They don't have to you know, involve multiple parties. It, it, it feels easier, and, and so clients are intrigued by that. The problem with it is David and I could tell you who the best estate planning attorneys are In Oklahoma City and we could tell you based on your wealth your complexity who makes sense for you to talk to there we could tell you who some of the best CPAs are in Oklahoma City and whether you own a manufacturing company that's rooted in inventory accounting or you have a real estate company and it's you know about real understanding real estate tax who the right CPA is when you bring all that under one roof you're telling your clients that our one person or our 10 people are the best to solve all those various circumstances and situations that clients face. We can't hire the best estate planning attorneys in Oklahoma city to come and work here. We need to be able to recommend to clients that they go talk to those people. And if we had them in house, it would create a disincentive and a conflict for us to do that. And so I think you're depriving clients of getting the best advice possible because you believe that by internalizing it, you're gonna make their life easier.
1: The best analogy I can give to that is if you do it all in-house, it's like a tracked home. You're building a tracked home with everything you think would be somewhat appealing to most people that would come and view it. We view everything we do for our clients as building a custom home. And to build a custom home, uh, you, you've gotta be able to go out and get the best person for each discipline you need. The best tradesman for every discipline. Same thing with estate planning and and, and accounting. Oklahoma City is really blessed. We have some of the best tax minds in the country that practice in this city. I I guarantee it. Some people may not have an estate complex enough to justify the rates that individual or firm may charge. There's no way we could cover every spectrum of all the needs our clients have no matter how many people we hired in house, we would always be missing the mark. And I think ultimately Scott is right. If you do that in house, you are going to miss the mark for a client eventually on both disciplines, just because you're trying to funnel them into your people that you have in house.
0: Well, and I think about the number of times it's probably weekly. We have a conversation around Stacy talked to a new accounting firm that she thinks might fit a certain group of clients or Scott met with a new attorney that meets a certain need for certain clients. We wouldn't be having those conversations if we're doing it all in-house. So I think that's the other benefit is our ability to go vet these people because then we, we're we holding out our, ourselves by saying, yes, we would recommend this person to you.
2: Well, and I think that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, okay, I'm an attorney and I'm I mean, I'm licensed to practice law in the state of Oklahoma. But I don't want to prepare anybody's estate plan. You alluded to Stacy Murray. Stacy Murray's is a CPA. She's licensed to, to, you know, to practice accounting, and she's a certified public accountant. She doesn't want to prepare tax returns. Right. That's not the role that we're trying to play for clients. In that role, we are acting as a first line of defense, and we're perfectly capable of acting as a first line of defense. So when a client comes with a basic question about tax or law, we can say, Yes, you definitely need to seek counsel. And based on your facts and circumstances, this is the CPA that makes the most sense for your needs. Or this is the lawyer that I think you need to contact because of their expertise. That's our role, and that's how we add value.
0: Awesome. Let's end with this. Let's You guys pick. It can be a, a good story or a negative story, but I think stories convey the impact that an estate plan can have. So in your personal experience, whether it's right now in your past experience at other, you know, when you guys were at the trust companies and a little bit more involved on that day-to-day side, a story for maybe both of you where you saw an estate plan handled exceptionally well, or unfortunately there's a story where they didn't have an estate plan and and you, you had to watch them go through that or help them walk through that.
2: I think the things that stand out you know, to people are always the, the bad stories because that's what motivates me to push clients and advocate to them that they seek great counsel and that they spend the time, invest the time to make a great estate plan. Um, that's what motivates me to do it. And one of those examples is I had a client who you talk about complex in the sense of just the circumstances. He's, you know, mid-50s, male, he's got children and a spouse. They're a single income household. The family lived out of the country. His business was out of the country. He was visiting his mother back in the United States and unexpectedly passed away. And now you've got kids, a non-working spouse who are having to navigate a partnership situation with his business and dealing with his former business partners. Um, assets spread across multiple banks insurance policies, all these things. And I will never forget because of when it occurred, um, I was on our way to pick up our first sets of business cards for Full Sail Capital and his brother called me and told me that he had passed and basically asked for, for our help to help them gather everything up. He had an estate plan. That estate plan did a great job of listing all the assets. We knew the location of those assets. Through our financial planning and estate planning processes, we had become very knowledgeable about the location of those assets, who the decision makers were, who we needed to contact, all of those things. And so we could very quickly round it up and begin executing on all of that with his brother um, who served as the trustee. And that just made everything so quick. If that didn't exist, somebody has to then become knowledgeable about all those things in the moment of dealing with the grief of loss. Really tough to do. It's really tough to do. It's almost impossible.
1: Yeah. And I guess my story would be on the more negative side. This happened to me well over a decade ago, but it it, it just is seared in, in, into my mind. Well, why, why you want good estate planning done? I had a client that was a little over a hundred years old in Texas, about a $30 million estate, had one problem, never had children, one problem in the estate plan that we brought out to them. Um, and he didn't care. He didn't want to get it fixed. Uh, He hated lawyers, and he goes, I'm not going to be here. Who cares? But it had worked a lifetime to create this wealth. Ends up dying without really going into the nuts and bolts of what went wrong. He ended up giving most of his estate to someone who was more than 37 and a half years younger than him, which triggered the generation skipping tax. Not only do you have a state tax on top of that. Long story short, when we added up all the taxes he owed, along with penalties and an interest over some gifting he had done in previous years. We were looking at around a $15 million ultimate tax to the government of that. Wow. So literally half his estate just went away uh, overnight, and we could have avoided all, almost all of it. It was brutal. It just goes to show, if you think the government can spend your, your the assets that you earned better than you... <laughs> Oh, uh, please right. show me. Please show me. I haven't seen that yet. It was just, it was brutal. And it was something that as someone that does estate planning with people, it made me incredibly passionate on making sure people actually took the time and were, was thoughtful and didn't worry about the cost today of making sure everything was going to be done tomorrow. when, when, when Scott is so correct, if you, if you have to worry about things, fixing things legally, in your estate plan after someone's died—it is just a fire drill, and you're doing a fire drill in a fog, because people are just devastated that mm-hmm. their loved one's gone. It was—it was horrible, and the government ever—the government and the lawyers high fived on that one. I guess one of the things that keeps me up at night as an advisor is people that
2: don't understand the importance of just great planning and the the relatively low level of cost that it is to bring great planning to bear. In the event something happens, it protects your family. And I would struggle if, if I have clients that something happens to them and I didn't do enough to help them be prepared, that would bother me. So I nag clients about estate planning. We talk about it at their yep. meetings. And and it's it's just because I know what an easy problem it is to, to find a to solve for. And as David said, we've, in addition to great tax minds, we have fantastic, there's a plethora of estate planning attorneys at all levels that can give great counsel and service to clients right yes. here in Oklahoma City. And yes. It it's easy. Well,
0: listen, guys, I really appreciate the time. If you have any final thoughts or, or comments, let me know. I, I think we got across what I wanted to convey to our listeners, which is this is an important topic. We don't want to avoid it. We try to bring it up as much as we possibly can, but it is
1: something that gets brushed under the rug. So as we close out, any, any
0: final thoughts, comments,
1: advice? I would just say, if you're a client of ours and you have any questions, reach out to us, please. And if you're not, reach out to your team if you don't have an estate plan that you feel confident would completely execute on all you want for yourself, for your family, and for your legacy. Get a hold of your team and get it done.
2: Yep. And I would just say that if you are a person out there that doesn't have an estate plan and you have children, I would think long and hard about whether the small amount of money you're going to have to pay to get an estate plan is worth making sure that you got things right for them.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thanks for the time. We'll talk again soon. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.